Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, let us know think about the episode. Let us know what type of content you'd like to hear. This is a whole new segment that we're doing called the diesel podcast after hours so it's basically like hobbies and things that we enjoy that are outside of diesel trucks we hope you enjoy it if there's topics things that you want us to talk about definitely let us know in the comments down below and we'll make sure to have a conversation about it before we get to it though i want to remind you our friends over at kershaw knives have a 40 percent off msrp code for you use code 2024 diesel40 at kershaw.kaiusa.com it's a great way to save some money get some really cool gear if you need a knife for hunting, fishing, EDC around the job site. And they have a whole product line designed to meet a ton of different budgets. So if you need something that you can work hard or you're a knife collector, they've got everything to get you what you need and a whole bunch of knives in between. So if you're looking for a particular blade steel, blade shape, handle design, they've definitely got you covered. And we appreciate them offering that discount code for you. So today, Vinny and I are going to go through one of his one of his main passions, something that he loves, and it's about processing meat. And I wanted to ask him about how he got into it. I don't know a whole lot about it. And so I'm looking forward to learning, going through the process of it, um, the different kinds of recipes he has, and definitely look forward to being able to learn more. So if you guys have questions, maybe you guys do meat processing as well, love to hunt, definitely comment down below. Let us know what you think. Let us know any recipes, places, check out cool gear. We want to see it. All right, let's get to the first episode of the Deep Podcast After Hours and chatting with Vinny Himes. Vinny, how's it going, man? I thought uh, I thought it's going to be really cool. You know, you'd mentioned, hey, it'd be cool to talk about stuff that we're into, like outside of diesel. And you were talking about the Diesel Podcast After Hours. <clears throat> I thought that'd be so interesting because there's so many different ways that, yeah, well, you know, we're truck guys. We're into diesel trucks. We own them and 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 we love them that's just one part of the things that we're into. So you had a topic and, and something you're really passionate about to help educate me. Cause I don't know much about what you're going to, what you're going to be talking, what you're going to be talking about other than I, I like to uh, enjoy good food. So I'm, uh, I'm curious to, to, you know, hear what you have to say. Look forward to chatting with you tonight. Yeah. I mean, we just, we had a really good visit after the podcast last time, which your viewers don't get to see any of that. You know, it's just kind of the, you and I've been friends for many, many years in the diesel industry. I mean, heck, I've been talking to you on various forums since probably '08. So we got a pretty good history. We got a pretty good history, and so we were chit- we chit chat after every episode, which nobody gets to see, and and we were discussing our passions and hobbies, and you know, yours is guns, and I always like hearing about your newest toys and and everything that you're doing with guns, and I love hunting. I'm a huge hunter, and uh hunted all over the United States. And, and, uh, one thing that I've always done since I was eight years old is process my own meat. And, uh, the last couple of years I've been doing a little bit of processing, not professionally, but just friends and family, people at work, um, acquaintances, customers at the diesel shop, everybody's hunting, you know, they get a big buck, they bring it up to the shop. We take pictures and stuff with them. And, and so something that's been, heavy on my mind since I moved here is this is not Montana. You know, we don't get to shoot a deer, gut it out, spread the back legs in the rib cage and hang it in the woodshed for a month or two weeks or however long we want. So we, we shoot a deer and you pretty much have to process it that night, or at least process it down to a point where you can get it in the freezer that night. And so these are just our hobbies and passions outside of diesel. And, uh, I know for a fact, your viewers that are watching this channel have passions and hobbies outside of, of diesel trucks, whether it be rock climbing or hunting or kayaking, fishing, rafting, what have you, we all have hobbies and, uh, you've already got a great audience. So why, you know, why not give them more of, of what they love to hear and about the things that they're passionate about, not just their diesel trucks. And so we're winding up hunting season right now all over the country. And, you know, you got special hunts that are going to go later into the year, but, for the majority hunting season is done around the country. And so everybody's either 
pulling that meat out of the freezer and trying to process it themselves or they're taking it to a processor or they took it to a processor. Now they're anxiously waiting to get it back, whatever the case may be. And um, what's really embarrassing down here, man, is, you know, I've taken one deer to the processor in my life at two, actually. The first deer I ever killed here was middle of the week. Uh, on a morning hunt before work, my boss and I went out hunting and I shot a big buck and I was going to process it out myself, but obviously he's like, man, I need you on the phone. So, <laughs> you know, I gutted it and, and got it skinned in the woods and, and took it down to the processor and dropped it off. And, you know, I just told him this, this was new to me. I'd never done this before. I've processed elk, deer, antelope, black bears, everything I've ever killed out West. I processed myself. And so I'm not used to this warm weather and, and having to do everything like on the fly, like right now it's got to get done. And so I dropped it off of the processor and I figured, you know, we pull up, there's a big indoor cooler, there's deer hanging in there. I can see it. You know, I'm like, wow, this is cool. This is a legit outfit. And, uh, I figured he was going to let my deer hang in the cooler for a couple of weeks and age a little bit and then cut up your traditional roast steaks, back straps, um, you know, grind up the rib meat, the shoulders, the neck, you know, and on a, on a decent sized buck here in Georgia, you should be able to take about 60, 68 pounds of meat off the, off the carcass. And so this is my first one. I didn't know. And, uh, a couple months goes by, dude calls me, says my deer's ready for pickup. So Paul went over there, pay him like 165 bucks or whatever it was. And, uh, I'm excited. He made me some whole muscle jerky and get back to the house and start unthawing things and pulling things out of packages. And uh, it was ruined. Like the meat was not even edible. I mean, they just basically took a big ruddy buck and ground it up with somebody's gut shot dough and somebody else's big ruddy buck. And I feel like I just got back a random amount of burger and it was not even edible. I mean, we tried cooking it in the house. It stunk the whole house up. It hadn't been, I don't know if they took the connective tissue off of it. I don't know if they aged it. I don't know what they did with it, but it was terrible. Um, it literally, it smelled like a dog crapped in a frying pan and it was sitting on my stove. Like it was putrid. Like my wife's screaming at me, get that out of the house. It's stinking up the whole house. And so I threw it out on the back porch for the dogs to eat and the dogs wouldn't even eat it. So the process, whatever happened was wrong. I, I wasn't able to go in and watch the process. You know, you check your deer in, they close the door and they do their thing. So it's very much behind closed doors. And, uh, I was bummed out as my first Georgia deer and I didn't even get to eat it. It was not edible. Um, I ripped open a patch of the whole muscle jerky. It was so over smoked. It was like chewing on a piece of charcoal. I mean, it was just, you couldn't even get the taste out of your mouth. Like we were just chugging bourbon, trying to get the nasty taste out of our mouth of smoke. And so I just, I knew, I knew after years of doing it myself, I could do it better. And so I bought all the equipment, um, started doing it myself. That was 10 years ago again, and uh, pretty much has done it for myself ever since. And a couple of years ago, one of my coworkers got a deer and was talking kind of about the same story, the same frustration of getting it back. And it's only a couple grocery sacks full of meat and there should be more. And we're all kind of standing around the office talking about it. And we're all in agreement. We're all experiencing the same thing. And so I told him, I was like, man, the next year you get, just bring it over to me. And he was like, how much? I was like, I don't, I don't even care about the money. I just want to, I want to show you what you should get off of a deer that you harvest. And so he brought one to me on a Sunday. It was a decent sized doe. And, uh, you know, when he came to pick it up, I kind of spread it all out on the kitchen table and I showed him what he was getting back. So I did all the traditional cuts off the hind quarters, your big roasts. Um, there's some muscles in there with some connective, connective tissue in between them, but it's very thin. It's that real thin see-through connective tissue. So you can actually leave a couple of those muscle groups together and cut a decent sized steak out of it. And then I run them, I season them and then I run them through a meat tenderizer and basically turn them into cube steaks. So when you get your deer, you pick your deer up, you're picking up a package, a couple packages of tenderized cube steaks that are already pre-seasoned. So when you take those out of the freezer a month or two later to make dinner, they're basically thawing in their own brine. Um, so that's awesome. And it's a cool way to present the meat for the, for the customer. And then I ground up the neck, 
the front shoulders. I did some whole muscle jerky off the front shoulders, did a bunch of grind off the front shoulders, the rib cage. You can get a bunch of meat off the rib cage. Uh, there's actually internal tenderloins in the back that everybody knows about. But if you split the rib cage open, there's also two internal tenders up in the neck area, right, right below the neck. Super delicious meat. So I got those out of there for them. Um, ground the whole neck up. I made them a big batch of summer sausage with jalapenos and cheddar cheese. Uh, did a bunch of bratwurst. He probably got back 25 pounds of bratwursts. I pre-smoked them for him in my smoker and and vacuum sealed them in a in a food safe vacuum sealed bag. And so, you know, when he come to pick up his deer, you know, I think he was expecting to get handed a couple of grocery bags like he had for the last 20 years, 30 years. Instead, I'm giving them back roasts that have already been stuffed and seasoned. I stuffed them with garlic cloves, seasoned them with like rosemary, thyme, pepper, salt, garlic. And so again, you pull that roast out of the fridge, instead of just throwing it in the crock pot like you're traditionally used to, you can take these food safe bags and drop them in a in a pot of simmering water for three hours, however long you want. You basically just bring the water temp up to about 135 degrees drop the whole roast in the bag in there and you've got i put butter in there i put seasonings in there garlic and everything so it's the roast is already slow cooking inside that bag with all this seasoning and flavor and fat and so you can take it out of the bag after three or four five six hours however you can leave it in there as long as you want it's called sous vide it's how restaurants prepare steaks and it's it's the reason sous vide is the reason you can walk into longhorn or a steakhouse, sit down, order your food, and 10 minutes later, you're getting a perfect medium rare internal temperature of 125 with a crust on it because it's been floating in a sous vide bath for four or five hours. It's at 125 internal. All they got to do is throw it on a fire grill or throw it on a cast iron grill and, and give you your crust. And so you can do that at home. It's very simple. You set your burner on medium low. You set a pot of water on there, put a thermometer in it. And once the temperature levels out, you can make adjustments, get it to where you want it exactly, drop your bag in, and you can sous vide this venison for literally hours. I've done it for six, eight hours before. I got guests coming over on a Sunday. I drop it in the pot of water before I walk out the door for church. And when I get back that afternoon, I can take it out, throw it on the charcoal grill out here and, and put a nice sear on it, you know, however you want to do it. So I basically was giving him all of his deer back, not a small portion of it. There definitely wasn't anybody else's crappy kill ground in there. And so I gave him his whole deer back with cooking instructions on how to cook it. And it was just a whole new experience for him. And uh, same with the bratwurst. They're already, I smoke them to an internal temperature of 165. We do cheddar brats. We do German bratwurst. I do mango habanero bratwurst with chunks of candied mango in them i mean they're freaking amazing like the the seasonings i use and we can put links down below for the viewers if these guys are doing the stuff at home or if they're just starting to get into it or curious about it um i get all my seasonings from walton seasonings and every bag of seasoning does 25 pounds of meat so as you're processing your deer your elk your antelope your grant hoodoo or whatever you know whatever meat you're processing it's all the same at the end of the day you just do it in 25 pound batches and you got to use one bag of seasoning um and walton's is like a one-stop shop like you can buy meat grinders sausage stuffers casings seasonings uh meat stabilizers like carrot powder and carrot fiber and stuff like that so i did that deer for him seeing how excited he was gave me excitement to do it for more people and so i kind of just put it out there to local friends and family i started a little facebook page called tomahawk meats and it's just like you know if anybody wants this done you know it's by the pound it's it's by what the customer chooses so i basically have a menu they drop off the deer you know quartered up i don't do skinning and gutting or anything like that but they drop off the deer quartered up i bone out the meat they tell me what they want. You want steaks and roasts? We'll do steaks and roasts. You want whole muscle jerky? We'll do whole muscle jerky. You want bratwurst and sausage, breakfast sausage? We can do however much of that you want. So they basically give me an order. When they drop off the deer, I tell them how much meat they're getting back. Right then and there, weigh everything, calculate 
bone loss and stuff like that. And then they basically go through a little menu and pick out what they want. So I've done deer for people that cost 150 bucks where they just wanted traditional cuts and ground burger with a little fat added to it. And I've done deer that where people paid me $690 because they wanted all specialty sausage with tons of, you know, they want to add cheddar. They want to add jalapenos. All that stuff costs extra. They want it packaged a certain way that costs extra. So it's very flexible and it's very much up to the customer how much it costs, but it's been really fun and I'm not doing a lot. It's, you know, basic friends and family, people I know off Facebook so far. I don't think I'll ever get into it commercially. It's just a lot of work. For me, it's just kind of a therapy session. After I get home from the diesel shop, I set up my stuff and do my grind, batch out whatever's getting turned into sausage, get it stuffed in whatever casings it's getting stuffed into, get it in the smoker, and uh, and then we package. So it's kind of a weekend thing with me and my family. My kids help. My wife helps. Um, it's just been really fun, but it's really been cool learning new sausages um so it's just to to the viewers here on this channel this is kind of this diesel podcast after hours is really for you guys it's outside of diesel stuff what are you guys passionate about what do you want to see videos about and um patrick knows a million people so you know if it's if you're not into hunting and you're into rock climbing i'm sure he has some friends on his friend list i love rock climbing but there's not a lot of rock climbing in georgia so it's it's interesting you say that because a lot of times when I, whether it's after a podcast or I run into somebody someplace, very rarely do they ask me about truck stuff. They're always interested in like, well, what do you what are you into besides trucks? Or you had this one guest on that was talking about this thing. Like, are you really into this? And those are some of the the really cool conversations. And I think what you were describing that process to me, like I don't hunt, not because I have a any personal objection to it. I just wasn't around it really as a kid and never really got into it, but my brother's a huge hunter. So whether he's here in Colorado or he's gone to Canada to do it and he's, you know, I, I've had the, the meat that he's, that he's uh, prepared and it's delicious, but I think about the whole process of it. Right. So hunting isn't cheap. The equipment you need, whether you're using a diesel truck or something else, you're taking time off work, you enjoy it, you're passionate about it with your you're with friends and family. And then you want to savor whatever it is. Like that's one of the things he loves to do is he'll say, Hey, I just got my my uh moose processed. I, I'm I'm making some stuff. Why don't you come up and visit? And I'm like, okay, cool. And I'll have people over. So I think about how what it was like for that guy when he's used to getting two grocery bags, right? And then you show him what he can get. Do people say, wow, man, I need to learn this. Can you show me a few things? Or I I want to do this myself. Because I think a lot of guys might be in that position where they're not necessarily new to it, but they just think, yeah, I, I know exactly what he's saying. Where do I start? How do I learn how to begin to process this myself? And, you know, I know you'd mentioned the seasoning and different things, but they're looking for ways they can do it themselves and and I think really stretch it farther. Yeah, there's... I get asked that almost every time, you know, because the problem is you just killed a deer. Like looking at it from the customer standpoint, he just killed a deer. He's all amped up. You're high on adrenaline. You're in a great mood. You can't have a bad day after a successful hunt. If you're a passionate hunter and you're doing it for the right reasons, you can't have a bad day. Like pulling the trigger gives you this high that nothing else on this planet can give you, you know, getting that deer out of the woods you know, even if you are dropping it off at the processor, that's a very exciting part of the hunt. And and you're so excited, you're not thinking about what you're going to spend. And that's, I get a lot of buyer's remorse. The day they drop the deer off, they can't wait to get 40 pounds of summer sausage back. You know, they can't wait to get 20 pounds of whole muscle teriyaki sweet chili jerky back. You know, they're going through the seasonings and they're like oh my god this sounds amazing let's do 20 pounds of that let's do 20 pounds. i'm like hold on bud you only got 60 pounds of meat here on this deer so you know you just gave me an order for 80 pounds of goodies <laughs> and so there's that excitement factor and and so what exactly what you said happens when they come to pick it up and i'm like yeah it's 4.99 and they're like oh my god what i'm like you filled the form out man i mean you literally picked 499 dollars worth of products out i made them and uh you know, there's 
there's not a lot of money in it as far as my end, but I don't do it for the money. I do it for something to do. I got to stay busy. I got to be creating and doing all the time. And so for me, it's just a, a really fun thing to do when I'm not busy at work. It just keeps my body busy and I don't have a physical job. I sit behind a desk and sell diesel parts. So for me to come home and, you know, yank muscles off bones and, and cut them up into cuts of meat and run it through the grinder, it just keeps me physically moving. And, uh, so they come to pick it up and they got to pay that bill. And it's kind of like, man, I need to learn to do this myself. I'm like, I will teach you the next deer you kill, come over. And, and I won't charge you anything. You pay for the seasonings. You pay for the casings. You pay for the vacuum seal bags and the, and the packaging. The, the labor's free. I will literally teach you for free how to do this. So that that is literally what this has evolved into. It's no longer me processing meat. It's now me teaching people how to process meat. And there is a... It makes my brain hurt thinking about the amount of stuff you have to know. So like summer sausages is one process with certain things you have to add so that we don't die of some terrible disease, dysentery or some crap, you know, like you take the wrong steps in sausage making and you can get very sick. So you have to know how much of what to put in there, curing salt, smoked meat, stabilizer, things like that. And I'm trying to keep it very natural too. You know, I'm trying to get us away from this poisonous food that we get from the grocery store that's so overloaded with preservatives that you're going to get sick from it over a long period of time, you know, autoimmune diseases and things like that. You know, people don't naturally have allergies. That is something that our food system has created. People don't naturally have severe ADHD as a child, but the processed meat that we eat, the processed chips and the crackers and all this stuff that's processed and loaded with preservatives is what's making all these autoimmune diseases present in our society. It's why little kids die of cancer at eight years old. That's not natural. And so I'm trying to bring a lot of the chemical aspect out of it and I'm using more natural products. And there's a really good guy on YouTube for anybody watching this episode, if they want to check him out, all he does is make sausage, every kind of sausage in the world. He's out of Canada and his name's Duncan Henry. He's got a really great channel. And, you know, I've been watching various people on YouTube for years and that's how I've self-taught myself all this stuff. There's a lot of really great books out there. Um, a thousand and one sausage recipes from around the world. That's one that I just, if I have nothing to do on a Sunday, I'll run down to the grocery store, buy a pork shoulder, bring it home, grind it up 20 pounds of meat. And I'll just open the book up to a random page and I'll make some high mountain Chinese sausage that's been around for the recipes a thousand years old. It's just cool, you know, and they're using ginger and herbs and things that are grown naturally in nature to preserve the meat rather than chemicals like we do here in the U.S. So there's probably a thousand episodes of this that we could do just talking about different kinds of sausage and procedures and so that's a it's a huge un never ending realm of what we can talk about on this after hours podcast. But I think throw that back to the viewers, you know, in the comments section, tell Patrick what you guys want to see and and he knows the right people. We can make it happen. But uh, you know, hunting, fishing, um, mountain biking, I mean, these are all topics, these are all hobbies that we all have as diesel enthusiasts. So the diesel power podcast is freaking awesome i love it i look forward to every episode you drop now i never for years i didn't watch it just because i'm not a tv person but now i'm sitting in my little butcher shop here running meat through the grinder i got nothing to do so i'll throw the podcast on on the big screen in the in the butcher shop and i'll just watch videos of the diesel podcast or i might be watching duncan henry make some crazy new <laughs> kind of sausage but it's just been the butcher sh butcher shop stuff has been really fun for me um, I put a couple of my favorite pieces of machinery in the background for you guys looking to do this yourselves or get into it. Um, meetyourmaker.com is a really great website. They have everything you need machinery wise from vacuum sealers to sausage stuffers, which is what I got behind me. Uh, the meat grinder, it's a double grinder. So instead of having to run your meat through and grind two times, which can take hours, you run a big whole muscle piece through that grinder right there and it comes out it goes through a coarse plate and then a fine plate you're ready to make sausage so it just cuts a whole extra 
process out of the whole thing. You got me thinking about food because you're, you're describing sausages and <clears throat> trying different recipes. And I think about like food in my family. It's, it's almost the centerpiece of what would be a weekend or a birthday or a celebration or something like that. Food plays a huge role in it. And I wanted to ask you about that side of it because I'm thinking of this whole process going from, you know, buying the hunting gear, taking the time off work, going out there. Maybe you don't see anything for a couple of days and you get something, then you bring it back and now somebody's processing it. But then ultimately when you get to share that food, that meat, what Best you created part. with family, friends, have people over and they're like, dude, that's the most amazing sausage I've ever had. Or what did you, you know, how did, how did you make this steak? This is so amazing. And so I wanted to ask you about seeing other people enjoy what you've been able to create or maybe people that you know when they're like, oh man, that, that steak we had, we had it, you know, family dinner or birthday or something like that. It, it made that hunting experience even more special. That's a hundred percent what drives me, man. Like seeing people happy makes my day. So hearing those stories and, and it helps me be become better at my process too. You know, I'm, I'm constantly watching Gordon Ramsay on YouTube. I watch a lot of YouTube now because I'm processing meat and I, I have so much time on my hand where I, I can literally sit in front of a screen and focus and learn. And I've always loved cooking. I'm kind of a self-taught chef. You know, I'm not cooking for huge parties by any means. I mean, I've cooked for a couple weddings and, you know, my buddy Lucas will fly me up to Illinois if they have like a family birthday and I'll private chef for an event for them. Um, you know, so I, I enjoy learning new processes and, and how to take care of, of the meat that I'm cooking or the salad that I'm making. There's so many cool, unique things that you can learn in cooking. It's like an art, which I kind of nerd out on, but I mean, dear, Venison is hard because especially living near a big city like Atlanta and you talk to some of these people and they're like, I had venison once. I'll never eat it again. They had a bad experience with somebody that didn't know how to process it. That is the end. That's the only story. There's, I can take the nastiest, stinkiest, ruddiest buck and I can give you back venison that your mother-in-law from LA will be begging you for next Thanksgiving because we processed it correctly and the worst thing i see people do here in georgia is they shoot a deer they throw it in a cooler they dump ice all over it and they let it float in ice for like two or three days so when i get to it the meat has gone from this beautiful dark red almost purple color natural to this gross white flesh it's not natural like meat should never turn white so trying to trying to train the customers how to take better care of their deer, you know, put the ice in the bottom of the cooler, put a towel over it and set the meat on top of the towel. It's going to bleed all over the towel. That's fine. That is your meat towel now. So you don't use it for anything else, but the meat should never be in constant contact with that ice. There should always be something between the ice and the meat. You want to keep it cold while you get it home. But it should never be floating in ice water. That's disgusting. That's where bacteria grows. That's just not a safe environment. So when I get that, I have to do a lot of heavy trimming to get that nasty, white, soggy meat off. And I got to get down to that good, clean, purple, red meat. But ultimately, they've venison has a wonderful flavor to it if it's prepared properly and taken care of properly. So it is a whole process. Like It's a lot of steps to do it right. But for the layman out there that's never done it and you're just maybe starting to become interested in it, um, you got meat back that you didn't enjoy because it had a bad off-putting flavor. It wasn't processed right. That's the end of the story. There's nothing, there's no other excuse. It just wasn't processed right. You should love your venison. It should smell aromatic and amazing in your kitchen when you're cooking it. It's, it shouldn't stink. It shouldn't have an off-putting taste. And so that comes down to a lot of specifics. So how the meat got from the field into the cooler, that's on the customer. You know, I don't get to control that. I'm not the guy that pulled the trigger. I'm not the guy that gutted it. I'm not the guy that put the shot placement where it was supposed to be. So if you shoot your deer square ass in the shoulder and blow bone fragments through both front shoulders, you just wasted 25 pounds of meat that I don't get to give back to you. 
So in some cases, you know, I feel sorry for these guys not getting the amount of meat back that they maybe thought they should. Having done this for a couple of years now, I can definitely tell you is there's some non-shooting ass motherfuckers out there. Like <laughs> they're shooting them in the guts. They're shooting them in the butthole. They're shooting them in the neck. Like the neck is amazing. Like a big white tail buck. Like I processed one for a buddy of mine. He got it up in Missouri and uh, brought it down to me. And just the neck alone, when I, when I bone out the neck, I get right next to the esophagus and I go straight up till I hit spine. And then I work around the spine and get every ounce of meat that I can. And I work around the back. And then I work down the other side till I hit esophagus again. So what I have is just a big giant meat saddle that I can hang off my arm. The neck off his deer was 28 pounds. And he was oh, wow. standing right here. I've got a big scale. We throw it in a tub. We throw the tub on there. We zero it out so we're not weighing the tub. Just his neck alone was 28 pounds. So that's 14 summer sausages. 14 two-pound summer sausages, sausages just off the neck. So the next time you think about shooting a deer in the neck, think again. That's 28 pounds of summer sausage, bratwurst, amazing bratwurst. There's big, huge roasts in the neck. The neck has a lot of connective tissue in it that people are intimidated by. You know, they'll, they'll watch me process in the meat. And they're like, oh, you're going to get all that connective tissue out of there. I'm like, no, that's collagen. That's what keeps your skin healthy. That's like, that's what makes you not have wrinkles. Why would you cut that out? You put that in a crock pot for five or six hours, that collagen is going to melt into that meat and become gooey and liquidy. And instead of a dry ass roast that you cut all the silver skin off of, you got a nice roast that's got some moisture in it because you melted all that collagen into the meat. It's very delicious. And so people just don't know these things. They hear things on the internet. They read things on forums. You know, that's the unfortunate part of the internet is any idiot gets a platform and a microphone. And they can spout off whatever they want and people that don't know any better take it as gospel. So that's the other thing I'm excited about with this is we can really put to bed some of the myths of the old wives tales that you know and hear. Like down here in the South, for some reason, these people are so scared of eating anything that has its balls on it. But a white-tailed deer is fine. Like I shot a wild hog one time years ago. Big, huge hog. Had giant set of nuts on him. I took it down to the processor and he's like, I'm not going to process that for you. And kind of same story. I shot it in the middle of the night, didn't have time to take care of it. And it's a pig. How do you screw up pork? You know, but I didn't know. I hadn't lived here very long. I'm from Montana. We don't have wild boars there. So this professional processor is telling me that he's not going to process it because it had balls on it. I'm like, fine, screw you. So I took it home, broke it down as much as I could that night and got it into a big chest freezer. We processed it out ourselves and it was amazing. You know, I, the biggest thing that I've learned here, not being able to hang the meat outside and let it naturally get some age on it is you can, you can throw the meat in freezer in meat lugs, put it in the freezer, freeze it rock hard, throw it into a thawing fridge, which I have, I have a curing fridge that I cure hams in. I'll do, uh, I'll do fermented sausages in that fridge. You know, I, I'll adjust the temperature where I need it based off what I'm making. But I'll throw the meat in the freezer, freeze it hard, thaw it out in the fridge slowly, pour off the myoglobin or the syrup or whatever you want to call it. Everybody calls it blood, but it's not blood. The animal bled out when you killed it. When you blew its heart to smithereens, it bled out. But you do get that syrup in the meat. It's myoglobin. And some of it can be off-putting, especially if it's a large male that has glands and you know they're releasing stuff into their muscles during breeding season or the rut if it's a deer and so if you're in the field the first thing you want to do is cut those glands off the legs the ones that you can get to there's other glands deep inside the muscle that you can take out that's my main focus when somebody drops off a deer i go straight to those glands get them out of there and between freezing and thawing and and rinsing that myoglobin out of the meat you can get rid of that off-putting gamey flavor. That's where it's at. And a lot of it is produced by poor shot placement. You shoot a deer in the ass, its body releases adrenaline in massive quantities to try and put it into shock so that it's not experiencing pain and suffering. We have it. You snap your leg in half. It doesn't hurt. You know, there's a, a second where you feel some pressure and then it's like, woohoo, I'm high as hell. <laughs> That's adrenaline. And it's, uh, it serves its purpose. It tastes and smells freaking horrible. 
So, you know, the it, good shot placement is key. That's the number one step you as a hunter, as a viewer watching this video, if you don't want to have bad tasting meat that your mother-in-law from LA will not eat, shoot the thing in the heart. It's not that hard. Be patient. Wait for a good shot. If the good shot doesn't present itself, that wasn't the animal you were supposed to kill. Don't rush a shot, make the animal suffer because it's going to get adrenaline pumped into the meat and it's going to pee. It's going to take a long time and a lot of processing to get that out of the meat. So there's some deer that I'll thaw out. You know, I don't know the whole story. It got dropped off. It didn't smell too bad. I throw it in the freezer. By the time I pull that customer's tag and I pull their meat out of the freezer and I thaw it out, my wife's like, get this shit out of the house. It freaking reeks. So I know I got to rinse it, clean it, put it back in tubs, put it back in the freezer, freeze it solid, thaw it again. I'll do that process until it doesn't stink. And sometimes it's seven or eight times, you know, sometimes I can't get rid of the smell. And so I just call the customer. I'm like, look, this is pretty rough. It, it's either super ruddy or it's full of adrenaline. And I'll recommend that we turn the whole thing into sausage because you can hide it with seasoning. What would you say if somebody was interested in <clears throat> in doing this, what kind of expense would you be looking at for some of the equipment that you use just to get started? Um, so you can go to Walmart. You can go to Walmart, Bass Pro Shops. Um, there's a company called uh, Leg that does or LEM, sorry, that does uh, grinders and stuffers and stuff like that. They're very affordable. Um, if you're just getting into it, you don't know if you're going to do it full time. I wouldn't go out and blow your load on like the nicest stuff like I did. <laughs> I started out 20 years ago. I had an LEM grinder that I literally had for 20 years. I mean, I can't tell you how many elk, moose, deer, black bears I ran through that thing. It's really noisy. And so that's kind of the thing that you'll see as you progress with this. You start out with the cheap stuff and you're like, wow, this works great. I don't need a $500 grinder. My little $200 LEM grinder is just doing fantastic. I made enough money doing this where I was able to go out and buy the Meet Your Maker one horsepower double grinder. Dude, you cannot even... They're not even from the same planet. I mean, the old one that I had, it did the job, but it was like, put some earplugs in, forget about watching anything on TV because it was so freaking loud. It sounded like an old hit and miss motor running on a table. Which, I can hear nothing. I get this one that's sitting behind me. Dude, you can watch TV, have a conversation. I mean, it's on whisper mode. Like you can't even hear it. It doesn't make any noise. You can hear the hum of the electric motor and that's it. So there is a lot to be said there. You can do it cheap. It's going to be loud and noisy and obnoxious. And you're going to have to run it through twice. It's going to take twice as long. You can spend a couple hundred extra dollars on a really nice grinder and have a much more pleasant experience. Get it done in half the time. Um, I started out with an old jerky gun, pumping it by hand. Your arm pumps up. You can only do 20 pounds an hour because you just can't pull that trigger anymore. You get a sausage stuffer like the one behind me there. You can crank out 15 pounds at a time in five minutes. So, you know, it's just, it's time, it's money. It's so many variables that come into it. It's just what's important to you. Do you just want to do it cheap and get it done? You can buy a hand grinder for 25 bucks from a yard sale and do the same thing that that'll do. It's going to take you four hours to do 20 pounds of meat. Uh, I can run, I can run 2000 pounds of meat through that thing in a weekend. It's not hard to do. I've done it. So there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of companies doing it. Um, just Google meat processing and you're going to get bombarded with everything. If you want the best for personal use, meet your makers got it done for me. Um, I'm not what I would consider commercial by any means. I'm still very much just a hobbyist. But if you got into the commercial stuff, you go to Walton's dot com that's where i buy my seasoning they got a whole section with commercial grinders mixers stuffers you know you can get pretty serious pretty fast i mean you can you can buy a fourteen thousand dollars professional smokehouse on there which would be the same thing you'd find in like a Publix deli that offers smoked ribs and chicken and stuff so it's you can go extreme very easily 
what about the guy what about the guy who's like hey this is all cool and everything but i don't have the time or i don't have the knowledge to do this but i've heard some of these stories from some of my buddies about you know not getting enough meat back or they just don't want to tackle it themselves i'm thinking of like what are some signs if you do find a good processor like what would be I don't know, like kind of like, hey, the, the, this place might be good to take my deer or whatever it is, or I should run and, and find a different place. Like what, what are some things that jump out to you if you were going around shopping different places to have your meat processed? That's an excellent question. Um, and I'm going to put this 100% back on the person taking the deer to the processor. Your attitude when you drop that deer off determines everything. If you're asking stupid questions like, is it going to be done tomorrow? Will I get it back next week? You're going to have a bad experience because that guy's been up all day. He's probably been up all night. People bring deer into processors as late as 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, he's probably been up since, since six. He's probably got a bunch of high school kids working for him for $10 an hour. Cause that's the only people that want to do this nasty crap. Um, he's already in a bad mood and you just asked him if your deer is going to be done tomorrow. You just got put on the FU list. Like your deer is probably going to go through the grinder that night. It's not going to get any aging done to it. It's not going to get bled out properly. You're going to get packages of meat back full of blood that just stink and reek. Um, it's your fault. You in in a, you inadvertently rush the dude. Like asking if your deer is going to be done tomorrow is the stupidest thing you can ever ask because this takes time. Um, if you want your deer to taste good. There's two weeks of thawing, rinsing, and refreezing, and thawing, rinsing, and refreezing that needs to happen before that meat should ever get a single knife touch to it. Uh, if they're doing it right, I guarantee you, I don't, I don't think anybody's doing that. I'm just absolutely retarded about it. <laughs> I only want to give my customers a good product back. If somebody asks me if their deer is going to be done tomorrow, I'm going to close their cooler and put it back in their truck and have a nice drive. See you later. I'm not even going to entertain that. That's just stupid because I'm setting myself up to give that guy a bad product and I'm not, that's not acceptable. I'm way too OCD to ever do that. So, you know, as far as the, if there's any processors watching this, um, teach your clientele to be better. So say things like, Hey, I'm a one man show. I only do this on Saturday. I probably won't ever, I won't see this deer again for three months. That's me being honest with the customer because I want to set up the expectation on the front end. You know, don't overpromise and then underachieve. That is the worst downfall of humanity is, man, I'm going to get you in tomorrow. 27 people just dropped off before you, but screw them. You're way more important. That's not reality anywhere. That's not going to happen. So if you say that, and I've been guilty of it, you know, I had a deer, the first deer of the season dropped off this year. And I was like, man, nobody's dropped off yet. You're first. So I'm going to get right on this for you. I was like, I should be working on it in a couple of weeks. You know, I'm going to put it through the freezing thawing process. I'm gonna, it's going to take a couple of weeks of doing that. And then when it's clean, I'm going to get right on it. Well, what I didn't know is the next day, five deer were going to get dropped off. So I'm guilty of it too, uh, just because I didn't plan ahead and I can't predict the future. So set the expectation and just be realistic. Like, hey, man, you're dropping off the deer tonight. You're the first one, but I don't know what's going to come in tomorrow. I don't know what's going to come in next weekend. I don't know how many deer are going to get dropped off throughout the week. So there's an expectation to be set on both sides. If you're dropping off of a processor and you expect and want to get something good back and you expect and want to get your deer back, not mixed up with farmer Fred's deer down the road that he hit with a tractor and decided to take it to the processor. That's disgusting. You don't want your deer mixed in with that. You know, you don't know if the guts exploded in the cavity. And unfortunately that's a thing here. You know, we see it. People bring us deer that have been shot in the guts, deer that have been hit by cars. You think you can get anything out of it? I'm like, get that off my property. I don't even <laughs> want to open it up here because I don't want that gut bacteria anywhere near my butcher shop. Yeah. So I turn away gut shot deer. I turn away deer that haven't been ethically killed. You know, if you can't shoot, don't bring your deer to me. And that's not being rude. That's just, I don't want to contaminate my customers that did take the time to to wait for a good heart shot. I don't want to contaminate my customer's deer that did gut their deer in the field and you left the guts in it and drove it here from two states away. That's disgusting. So setting the expectation on the on the processor's side is important, but setting the expectation on the customer's side is important too. If you want a good product back, tell the guy, hey, 
I know you got 42 deer ahead of me. I know you got 100 deer ahead of me. That shit can hang in the freezer till July. When you get caught up and you're done, pull mine out, rinse it, thaw it, rinse it, thaw it, whatever you got to do, make sure it's clean. I don't want a bunch of blood in my packages. You know, I, I want to make sure that I get about 60 to 70 pounds of product back. If people, you know, if they're making bratwurst and summer sausage, they should be adding. I like to add beef fat to my summer sausage. Um, I love beef fat and my bratwurst. It tastes really good. If I'm making breakfast sausage or certain kinds of bratwurst, I'll add pork fat to it. I do about a 70-30 mixture. So you're going to increase their yield based off that alone. But if you display an overabundance of patience when you drop it off, you're probably going to get a much better product back. And and the dude's going to be excited to work on your deer because he gets to go slow. He gets to practice his art. He gets to do what he wants to do the way he wants to do it. He doesn't feel rushed. And he's not going to throw your neck and front shoulders up on the table with 40 other deer and just grind it all at once and give you back what he thinks you should have got back off that deer. And a lot of times that's exactly what happens in a commercial setting. I think what's so cool about this is is learning. It generally interests me, even though I don't do it myself, I still am a participant in some way, whether it's with family or friends and they just got a moose or a bear or an elk or something like that. <clears throat> so I'm, you know, kind of downstream of it sitting there at a table with a plate and like, oh man, this is amazing. This is really good. But I'm naturally curious and I think, okay, how did it get to this point? Or these people I do know who invest a lot of time and a lot of money into going out there and then, you know, getting these animals, what are the pitfalls of, you know, how do you get it to the processor? Or if you're going to do it yourself, like what should you know ahead of time? I just find all this stuff. Yeah, really interesting, which again is outside of, of trucks, but I'm really curious, I'm really curious what the audience is going to tell us with like, what do they want to hear about? I know you're into a ton of different things. I'm into a lot of things outside of, you know, truck stuff and the ways I like to unwind and just hobbies that I have. So it's really kind of curious to, you know, like hear your whole process because we've never really talked about it in gosh, 10 or 12 years of knowing each other. You know, it's pretty much been like truck stuff or I saw you at an event or at Shy Diesel. I'm like, hey, Vinny, what's up? Or, you know, on the phone or something like that. And I don't I don't necessarily know all the hobbies that you got. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of them. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's when I was out west, it was a little more free. That, that's the only downfall of living down here is everything's private property. So, you know, my weekends out in Montana or Idaho or Colorado, I've lived in Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana and Washington State. A lot of freedom out there. You can get in the truck and drive two hours up into the mountains and go hiking, and you're not going to have to worry about trespassing on somebody's land. There are very limited opportunities for that in the state of Georgia. It's very populated. But yeah, I mean, I was, uh, when I lived in Colorado, man, I was mountain climbing or rock climbing every weekend. You know, we climbed the Zanzibar Dihedral a couple times up there in Aspen, above Aspen. And uh, there's some really good rock climbing around Eagle Vale and Vale, Colorado. I used to go ice climbing in Big Sky, Montana. You know, it's just a lot of different fun hobbies. Most of my stuff's always been out in nature. You know, I'm not much of a sit in front of a TV guy. Um, hence the reason I never, I never watched any of our podcasts until the one you put on TikTok went ridiculously viral. And I was just getting ping, 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 comment, comment. And I, I do thoroughly enjoy helping people learn and, and explaining things to people. It's something I'm passionate about. So I try to answer every single question that I see on your, on your episodes that we do together. And uh, so I really started purposefully watching them and giving people feedback and even answering the rude ones. I think they're hilarious. I think it's super funny that people think I sit on my deck and smoke cigars to look cool. Cause I don't care what anybody on this planet thinks about me. So that was super funny to see that, but no, I'm a, uh, avid outdoorsman i love it you know and uh just farm to table to me is something i grew up with it's really funny in the current state that our world is in how many people are like yo i think these are like important skill sets that i should know so we're very much transitioning back into our i would say great grandparents i think our grandparents you know some of our grandparents depending on how old we are 
maybe had the tail end of the depression. So they were still into canning their own food, growing their own gardens, hunting, fishing, you know, being out in nature, harvesting their own meat or raising pigs, raising cows. And then our grandparents, you know, you're and my grandparents probably did a little bit of canning and fishing and hunting. And then they got spoiled because the country got industrialized. We've got commercial food processing now. We can go down to the grocery store and pick up a country ham or a city ham or whatever. And we we don't have to learn these processes. We don't have to know this stuff anymore. Um, I grew up very, very poor. So my family processed our own meat because we couldn't afford to go down to the grocery store and buy a super convenient steak or a pot roast. We had to go hunt it and we were too poor to take it to a processor. So we had to process it ourselves. And we did a horrible job of it when I was a kid. So I hated venison my whole life. I ate it because that's all there was, but I absolutely hated it. It wasn't until I moved out of my parents' house and I took an interest in cooking and technique and and learning how to prepare certain proteins and what pairs well with what. And I kind of nerded out on on cooking in my 20s and wild game just happened to be a part of that. And I realized it can be very delicious. It can actually be luxurious and high end. So, you know, you go to one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants and you order the elk tenderloin, that's an $800 plate. So the fact that us hillbillies and rednecks have the opportunity to experience that for free-ish, you know, you do have the expense of the hunting gear, you have the expense of taking time off work, but I guarantee you it's not $800 a plate. If we take the time and we've got so much technology at our hands right now, you know, it may not, we may not always have that depending on how things go. But right now we have so much technology at our fingerprints that our fingertips that we can learn how to be five-star chefs at home. We can learn how to process a deer or an elk at home. Um, you know, you can dry age and, and cure meat the old fashioned way, build yourself a curing shed. You know, it's just got to be a, a shed with gaps in the siding. So natural air can move through it especially if you're in a climate where it gets cold enough, you can do a country style ham yourself. It's just time. You know, it's, it's eight weeks in salt and then it's eight weeks free hanging in the woodshed, you know, but you can do all this stuff yourself. You can take care of your family without a refrigerator. You can process wild game without electricity. You know, you just, you gotta take the in initiative and start learning. I think that's the, when you mentioned that, it's something I see as well as I think back to you know, my grandparents on one side, they were born in the twenties, were in World War II, <clears throat> growing up, you know, I was little, but they always had, they kind of lived out in the country and there was a garden that was growing. And then in the basement, they canned stuff. And I always thought it was really weird as a kid because I'm like, why do you, why are you canning and growing this stuff? You can just go to the grocery store, but they grew up in a totally different time where maybe you couldn't get corn or whatever it was squash at the grocery store. You had to have these things. And I find a lot of people that I chat with, they're, they're starting to get more into that because like our generation, even our parents, there was always a grocery store. We have Uber eats and DoorDash and all these other things. Um, and people are starting to think, okay, what if I can't get that? Or the price is getting so crazy on just commodities and food and everything else that they think, man, I'd like to learn how to do that myself or, um, I'd like to be more independent. So I think that's, that's something really important that, uh, kind of shocked me as I didn't think I would see people take a genuine interest in the way things used to be 80 years ago, hundred years ago. How do you become self-sufficient? You know, how do you do these things? How do you prepare a fish? How do you store meat? How do you, how do you do all this stuff? But it was, uh, it was interesting when you mentioned that, cause I thought right back to being five years old, staring at the shelf with all this canned stuff and thinking, why do my grandparents do this? Well, it's, yeah. And it's really amazing food because we're buying a can of tomatoes at the store. There's no flavor in there. It's just tomatoes, maybe in some kind of vegetable oil or seed oil or some kind of preserving syrup that has zero flavor and isn't good for you versus grandma's canned tomatoes. She threw you know, a quarter cup of salt in there with a couple teaspoons of black pepper and maybe some garlic cloves. And so when you open that six months later to make spaghetti sauce out of it, 
it's got this amazing flavor that you're you're gonna make it you're gonna try to make it for your kids with store-bought items and it's never gonna taste as good as grandma's canned tomatoes because she did the process the tomatoes were preserved with the seasonings and so when you pull that out and you blend it up or however you do it the seasoning's already in there you're just building off of that and that's what i think about when i'm processing people's deer meat i'm never gonna stuff a piece of meat into a vacuum sealed bag as just a piece of meat i've got thousands of dollars worth of seasonings in there at the very minimum if i want to keep it really simple or if i got a customer that doesn't have a very uh sophisticated palate you know and you get a lot of that down here like man i don't really like the flavor of anything i just love the flavor of air <laughs> awesome dude i'll put salt and pepper on it for you and I, you would not believe how much i hear that it's ridiculous but a lot of my customers are like well i don't really like deer meat and i'm like i got you dude you're gonna freaking love this deer meat and so i use a ton of different seasonings that are very natural uh probably one of my favorite seasonings is it just looks like black powder and it comes out of Mexico and they basically take onions, cut them in half. They put olive oil on them, hit them with a little salt and pepper, stuff it into a really hot oven. And they basically burn the shit out of these onions. I mean, they, when they pull it out, I've watched the process. They pull these onions out of that oven. They are charred black. And then they drop them into this thing and they literally turn to black dust, but they've got salt and pepper and olive oil on them. And so they grind them up into this powder and you sprinkle it on anything. Like I give it to my wife and it's like basically orgasmic. Like she's just like, I don't know how you develop this flavor. I didn't do anything. These crackheads in Mexico made it. It's just burnt onions, but it is the best seasoning I've ever tasted. So it's a natural, there's not a bunch of bull crap in it. And it will literally blow your mind when you eat it for the first time. It's like, how can something taste this good? So yeah. I'll sprinkle that on a venison tenderloin, slide it into a vacuum sealed bag, slice up a half a stick of butter because there's no fat in the venison tenderloin. So you need some fat, slide a couple of pieces of butter in there, vacuum seal it up, give it to the customer, explain the whole sous vide process, which is very simple. Anybody can do it. This is not, you know, it's a, it's a chefy technique and it sounds fancy because it's a French word, but it's not fancy. You're basically putting a bag of meat and seasonings into a pot of water. You're not boiling it. A lot of people are like, gross, boiled meat. No, you Neanderthal. It's in a bag. It's in a vacuum environment. And the water's never going to touch that piece of meat. You just let it sit in the simmering water for six hours. It's cooking to an internal temperature of 135. You pull it out and eat it for all I care. It looks like a basically raw piece of meat, but it's cooked to an internal temperature of 135. You want to eat it like that? It's going to be amazing. If you want to throw it on the barbecue grill and put a little char on it, knock yourself out. But at the end of the day, it's going to be delicious. It's going to be the best venison they've ever had. It just took me putting a little more effort into it and explaining to the customer how to preserve or how to prepare it and present it. Well, it was cool to it was cool to learn about one of your hobbies, Vinny. It's uh, like I said, it, this whole process kind of fascinates me because there's always there's these little parts of it that whether we hunt or we don't or whatever we're into <clears throat> we're familiar we're interested in, in different parts but i can tell you're you're really passionate about it so i think it was a great uh a great topic to go over i'm definitely going to send my brother to this episode when it goes out so he can he likes to do all this stuff and talk about seasonings and recipes and all that kind of stuff yeah i told i told my neighbor about it and he's like he doesn't even own a diesel truck he's like bro send me that episode i can't wait to see this because he's very interested in the aspect of being self-sufficient yeah. which i love being self-sufficient i i look forward to in a super psychotic super creepy weird kind of way i look forward to world war three like red dawn is like my jig like if that shit happened i would be on cloud nine but just just to know that i've given myself the knowledge to take care of my wife and kids if the power grid goes down that's dope you know um bathing in a bucket when it's 30 degrees outside sounds super cool because we can't take showers, but it's knowing all that stuff and preparing yourself for that stuff. And hopefully it never happens, but if you're ready for it and it does happen, how great is that? You know, it's like needing a condom. How, how much does it suck when you need one and don't have one? I just want to have a condom for every aspect of life. <laughs> and if you live like that, you're going to have a pretty dope life. 
I can't think of a better way to uh, wrap up our first uh, diesel podcast after hours than, uh, right? than, than what you just gave us. <laughs> Be cool. Wrap your tool. <laughs> Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to Kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code 2024-DIESEL40 for 40, 40% off MSRP. Great way to save some money, get some really cool gear like what Vinny and I just, just chatted about. So if you need a knife or hunting, fishing, EDC, around the job site, around the house, they definitely got you covered. Have a ton of different products to meet any budget. And if you're looking for a particular type of blade steel, blade shape, handle design, they've definitely got you covered. And we appreciate them offering that discount code for all of our fans out there. Also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowen at 23 Diesel, John, J. Cole, all of our other Patreon supporters, all of you who subscribe on YouTube and podcast apps, follow us on social media. We appreciate your support of the Diesel Podcast here in year eight and look forward to bringing you more of the content that you want to hear in 2024. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.